Hi, this is Kara Swisher, and I want to talk to you about my new podcast for The New York Times called Sway. If you want to know what people who hold power in our world are really all about, you need to hear how they answer the tough questions. And that is my specialty. And although it might get messy, as it always does, it's also going to be really fun. You can get Sway wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available Mondays and Thursdays. Hey everyone, I'm Jen. And I'm Jess. And we're the hosts of the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to tell you about Strivectin's new Super C Retinol Brighten and Correct Vitamin C Serum. We often interview dermatologists on our podcast, and two of their favorite skincare ingredients to recommend are retinol and vitamin C. This serum has both in one lightweight, layerable formula. The new Strivectin serum helps to smooth fine lines, and it's clinically proven to visibly brighten and firm skin. To learn more about Strivectin's Super C Retinol Brighten and Correct Vitamin C Serum, visit Strivectin.com. Welcome. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I am your host, Misha Globerman. Uh, as you know, Trampoline Hall is a lecture series uh, that takes place in a bar. It's usually in Toronto, but sometimes in other cities. Um, people give lectures on all kinds of subjects, with the one restriction being that they cannot speak on subjects on which they are professionally expert. It cannot be their job to know the thing. Uh, after each lecture, we take questions from the audience. This, of course, is a Trampoline Hall podcast, and the way that works is that in each episode, we go back through the Trampoline archives, and we pick lectures to podcast to you. Some of them are old, some of them are new, uh, but all of them are great. Uh, the way we, we do it is we do it in short mini-seasons uh, of six episodes, one a week. This is the start of the current season, so this is the very first episode. Uh, there will be uh, five more of them. That makes six. Uh, they are all chosen by Kate Bars, who went through the the archives and chose excellent episodes for you to enjoy. Um, by the way, if you are in Toronto and you like what you hear on the podcast, you should come see the show. Uh, go to our website, join the mailing list, and we'll tell you when the next one is. Uh, but for now, uh, let's go to this episode's lecture. Uh, it probably contains mature language. Who's to say? But uh, let's say it does. Uh, the topic is empaths, RuPaul's Drag Race, and emotional porn. And the lecturer is Samantha Viarell. <laughs> Um, the wonderful thing is I can't see any of you right now. It's good. Um, but I might trip on... Can I move it? It's dangerous. All right. I'm an empath. This is something I've known on an emotional level for a long time, but something I've only recently started investigating from a scientific or rational level, what that means... Uh, as a bit of a background, it's really hard to stay close to it, that's why. Okay. As a bit of a background, empaths, and everyone really, uh, we exist on a spectrum of how we connect with others. And for empaths, on one end of the spectrum are highly sensitive people who can experience the emotions and even physical sensations of others indiscernibly uh, from themselves. Narcissists, on the other end of the spectrum, are people who completely lack empathy, uh, are prone to manipulate, and often have distorted or grandiose self-image. The thing in common between narcissists and empaths is their uh, blurry boundaries of the self. For me, I'm an emotional empath, and that has manifested in my life in pretty common ways for empaths. So. I get overwhelmed in crowds, I experience anxiety, like right now, um, and I have bad dreams. 
But the uh, earliest manifestation of being an empath that I can recall is being a child and going into the grocery store with my mom. And we'd be cashing out. And all of a sudden, I would find myself really deep in story about this cashier. I would start thinking about their life. I'd be thinking about their family, if they have friends. And I just remember experiencing a lot of like, feelings of sadness. And it's not that there's anything inherently sad uh, in cashiers. I experience this with most people, like on the bus or whatever. Uh, I think I'm very sensitive to loneliness specifically. But the point is, is I thought I had this really weird and intense imagination. And what I've since realized, or what I've since learned, is that as an empath, I actually am picking up on the emotions and thoughts and stories of people and emotionally responding with that. Uh, one of the other ways that being an empath has manifested in my life is I'm very sensitive to the types of media and literature that I consume. So I watch the same movies over and over again. I read the same books over and over again. And I do this as a way to manage my emotional responses and outputs. And it's really hard for me to watch something um, I've never seen before. And especially if it's something I know is going to be emotional or like anti-cathartic. So I can't fuck with like Coen Brothers or anything like that. Which brings me to the topic of my talk, and that is that I'm obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, to start, I didn't realize that RuPaul's Drag Race was reality TV. Um, I understood that it was a competition show about drag queens. I understood that it was real people. But I guess because they're performers, my brain didn't make the connection between this show and reality TV. Part of this also is because I have a very specific conception of what reality TV is because I never really watched it and, or like could watch it. And I guess it's like, I remember Survivor and when that whole reality TV sh competition show thing started. And it seemed like it was just a bunch of people who were put in competition and whether it was through human nature, human nurture, they would form alliances for survival or whatever. And a few years later, I watched this other reality show. It was called I Love Money. And something had changed in the genre where it had become almost completely self-aware. These people understood how to play the game to manipulate the outcomes. And they also understood that if they produce themselves in a certain way, it could result in continued fame. And it's really interesting to me, this shift in reality TV where it became almost sentient. The thing with RuPaul's Drag Race, though, is that I watched it out of order. So I didn't realize uh, until I was a few seasons in about how this had happened in this show. RuPaul's Drag Race is a whole cultural phenomenon and can be viewed in so many ways. Uh, as an entity and as this really unique thing that has happened. What I want to focus on is how it's been on TV for 10 years and what made a successful contestant on season one in 2008 is not what makes a successful contestant on season 10 in 2018. Drag Race at its inception was a hybrid of club drag, pageantry, and ball culture, all of which are subcultures of gay culture, with gay culture arguably also being a subculture. Without going into the history of what drag is or what it isn't, 
Drag culture and gay culture, as it pertains to fashion, music, and the arts, historically were the tastemakers. These folks were our tastemakers. Subcultures are where the mainstream borrows, or co-ops, uh, what eventually becomes the mainstream. And as a result, you have this like perpetual sprouting of subcultures, and whether that's even possible in a globalized or internet era is another thing. But what is interesting about Drag Race seasons one, two, and three is that what made a successful contestant was the things that are true of drag, pageantry, and ball as themselves as subcultures. Things like resourcefulness, creativity, personality, ingenuity. And in the earlier seasons, you had a lot of queens who were the winners who were people of color. Fast forward to season 10 and the most contemporary seasons, this has been reversed. What makes a successful queen on RuPaul's Drag Race on season 10 is how well you represent the mainstream, and it is the mainstream that is informing the subculture. That partnered with reputation economy, the power of Instagram, and our obsession with the viral. Drag queens are so self-produced that the winning of the show is rooted in how catchy your catchphrase is, how much money you have, how much pop culture reference you know, and how arts educated you are. There is also this added layer of how Drag Race fans are super obsessed and loyal, but also very uh, toxic and delusional. If you're well-liked, you can have a tremendous career. If you aren't, you can be the victim of the darkest side of the internet and even delusional vitriol. In addition to being reality TV, RuPaul's Drag Race is also emotional porn. The way the show is produced and directed, even from the earliest seasons, there was this self-awareness about how to captivate an audience and how to get someone watching to relate or connect with the contestants. The RuPaul's Drag Race universe, for anyone who hasn't watched it, I assume everyone here has watched it, uh, is made up of Drag Race and Untucked. Untucked is the behind the scenes show after the queens have received their critiques on the main stage and essentially in between competing and when we find out who's the tops and the bottoms for the week. In earlier seasons of Untucked, there would be conversation starters to provoke conflict between the queens. And then and even now, the queens are shown video messages from estranged or ill family members in what feels like to be to prompt emotional breakdowns. Um, you have people who are in high stakes captivity, they've just been read to filth, they've been wearing heels for hours, and then it's like, here's a video of your dying mom who never accepted you. In Drag Race, during B-roll, or when the queens are getting into drag, contestants are prompted to ask each other about provocative subjects. This is very season specific. In the earlier seasons, they would talk about things like dead parents or uh, things relevant in the gay community at that time, like HIV crisis. More contemporarily, things like trans issues, anti-gay violence, like what uh, happened at Pulse nightclub. And in this most recent season, there were many conversations about race. In earlier seasons, it appeared more organic. Um, like an example would be if the challenge was a wedding dress challenge, they might talk about gay marriage that week. And this would at least seem a bit authentic, but by season 10, you have these like rapid fire conversations and queens are just trying to get their story in or their two cents in. And when a single thing a queen says can be taken and go so viral online that they receive death threats, it's really hard to imagine people having authentic conversations. That said, the amazing byproducts of these contrived conversations is that, especially in this most recent season, it created a platform for black queens and other queens of color to talk about things like 
being black and gay or growing up religious and gay and ultimately just having these really important intersectional conversations on television. We are privy to these people's struggles and their successes and I've personally been really empowered and inspired by specific queens. However, queens have come out post-drag race to talk about how uncomfortable they were um, being kind of coaxed into discussing these personal issues, things like their assaults. And a lot of times, a queen's post-drag race success is rooted in her tact in participating in this emotional pornography. To be clear, I've watched every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, and Untucked, and multiple times. I will, however, skip episodes I know are heavy in emotional porn because, for one, it detracts from what I love about the show and reveals the depths of its narcissism. And two, I just get really emotionally affected. Herein lies my conflict of being an empath and being obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race. The current reality of this reality TV show impacts my ability to enjoy it. The same way I wonder if reality TV is really sentient, I wonder if RuPaul's Drag Race has reached singularity. What's gonna happen with season 11? What's gonna happen with All Stars 4? I might just end up re-watching All Stars season two for the rest of my life because I love it and I love how it makes me feel. Thanks. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. Yeah, you stay here and they're going to ask you questions. I hope. Well... Hi, this is Kara Swisher, and I want to talk to you about my new podcast for The New York Times called Sway. If you want to know what people who hold power in our world are really all about, you need to hear how they answer the tough questions. And that is my specialty. And although it might get messy, as it always does, it's also going to be really fun. You can get Sway wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available Mondays and Thursdays. Are, are, there, are there any questions? Oh, yes, all the way in the back of the room, yes. Sorry, could you shout out just a little more? So specifically about vi- how virality, specifically around the lip syncs, has affected the show? So Instagram, how do you think that's affected the show a lot? Oh, completely. Like the, like the gif ability and all of that. Because like, in a viral culture, it's all about like shareable content, right? And when you look at someone like, or if you look at, that comes into production value and stuff too, and it becomes a bit of like a cycle because it's like season one, you don't have a lot of gifts or shareable content because the lighting was really bad and they had like Vaseline on the camera and like all kinds of shit like that and then so there's no money to go into it and all and then now the production value is so high that any moment can be captured and, and a lot of times like just on your phone I invite you to look at where you can like look up GIF. Like look up Alyssa Edwards and like there's like a million GIFs of this of this drag queen. Is that is that your question? I mean the viral nature of it, it's like we love 
Instagrammable moments. So I think that contributes to it. And do you feel that affects like the performances on the show because people are trying to create those Instagrammable moments and trying to create things that turn to gifts and I guess both the performers and the producers is that part of it or? Totally. And I, I think that and like I said when I when I first started watching it I, w I was much like other folks where I saw it because it had came out on Netflix. I had friends who were into it. I hadn't really dipped in much. And so I watched like fairly recent seasons and then I went back and watched all of the other seasons and so you definitely see a shift in the way that the queens present themselves and how they like, like produce themselves to be more viral and more shareable like uh, this most recent season there was a queen Miss Vanjie and she was on the show for one episode and mm. is arguably one of the most successful RuPaul's Drag Queen uh, queens ever because as she left she did this very iconic thing where she walked backwards on the stage and was like Miss Vanjie just like saying <laughs> her own name and it just became the most like shareable and like viral content to the point I mean it's it, she's everywhere and so yeah do you feel all right okay, I ask, I've got a bunch of questions well, here, anything else do you have anyone, yes yes you ma'am yeah So what? So so if you're someone who doesn't like reality TV, what drew you to this? Well, there was that part about not realizing that it she was reality know. TV. <laughs> but um, so I do. I have a background in like sewing and costuming, and uh, so part of it for me at first was that that challenge aspect that you would have folks given the same resources on site, and they're like, "Okay, do do this thing with it," and I would love to see what they would create and. I also just think drag queens are some of the most important people in our right. in our society and they just teach so much about fearlessness and subversion of gender and so it really appealed to me that it was once it started getting kind of messy around playing with their authentic authenticity and their ability to be who they were as people that it got a little weird just right so what's so what you was was the drag queens yeah i loved <laughs> I, I loved i loved drag queens right, yeah. cool all right, uh, uh, does that answer your question? Of course it does. Yeah, anything else? Anything else you would like to know? Any other questions? Yeah, over there. Great. Yes, thank you for, yeah. As an empath, do you believe a sociopath can feel compassion? Do you feel a sociopath can feel compassion? Conversion. Can, can feel what? Conversion. Conversion? Conversion. Con what's the word? You all know it except me. Conversion? Conversion? The opposite of Schadenfreude? I've never heard this word before. The opposite of Schadenfreude is compersion, and you guys all know this word except me. <laughs> all right. So, and the question is whether, and the question for you as an empath is whether a sociopath can feel that. <laughs> Did I get that right at least? Uh, I'm not qualified to answer that question. <laughs> but we worked so hard on getting it to you. <laughs> You heard this speech. How many words did I say aren't even real words? Like, I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know how to. Right, answer so you're an that. empath, but you don't know. You're not an expert on sociopaths. That's even no. farther from your non-expertise. Yeah, I think it's like if you look at that spectrum, you have like yeah, you have empaths and narcissists, and then sociopaths are probably that next 
layer. I mean, narcissism is also like a recognized personality disorder alongside sociopathy, but I'm not, I couldn't speak to the. As an empath, do you, just to maybe get a glee, to give this guy some satisfaction, as an empath, like, do you, when you encounter people who you perceive to be narcissistic or sociopathic, like, how does that feel to you? Like, do you have a, do you have an insight into their experience of, of being so non-empathic? No, I think, like, well, they, they say that empaths are attracted to narcissists, which is weird because my love partner's here right now. Wait, is your is your um, is that person? He's, he's not a narcissist. Are you, you can say is he is he really a narcissist? You can say no, 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 no. He's just All a right. Leo. He's just a Leo. Right. Um, but when I I don't know, you know, the thing with being an empath is like I won't necessarily be able to identify that like it's like oh that person's a narcissist. It's like a it's more of like a feeling like I might start to have anxiety and I'll be like oh I I don't know I'm like why do I have anxiety right now and it is like not rooted in anything in me. It's like I'm experiencing it from somebody else. Okay. But yeah. All right. Cool. There's a hand up over there. Thank you. Do you think the how do how do contestants who are more empathic on RuPaul's Drag Race do on the show versus those who are less so? It really depends. This most recent season, there was a queen named Asia O'Hara who I felt was like really an empath, and she ultimately would be at a disadvantage in challenges because she'd be at other people's workstation, like helping them, making sure they were doing okay, and it would like take away from her own work and well-being. And I think in that scenario where the more narcissistic you are, the more you thrive, actually. And trying to replicate that behavior was like part of what I felt was her downfall during the finale. So I think that empaths don't do as well. That said, when they leave the show, if they were considered like most congenial, or if they're like a fan favorite, if people love them, then that does do well for them in their post-drag race career. Do you feel that your your personal experience as an empath is more like the people on the show who suffer from being an empath or the post-show drag races and that you thrive for being an empath? Um, Just for you in the world? I'm constantly suffering, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like in this moment. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think I think I... I faced I faced challenges with it, and like it's it's it can be a gift, but it's like anything where you have to learn to harness it and to like work within a system that doesn't necessarily value uh, those things. So it's kind of about like having self awareness with it and recognizing boundaries and like developing that kind of thing. And what are the and is it and what are the is it the dangers of like being taken advantage of or looking too much after other people's interests like you were describing in the show or are there other things other than that? Yeah, I think it I think it has to do with being um, getting burnt out more than anything. But to answer your question more fully, uh, I think I think of it as an advantage. I think that I I think I thrive because of it because um, it helps me stay connected to why I do the work I do or why I nurture the relationships I nurture and those are the things that I value. So. Right. In terms of the things that I value, I feel like I, I get a lot from it. Okay, cool, mm -hmm. great. Anything else? That's all the way in the back of the room. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I see. Have you ever like investigated the accuracy of your empathic? So, like, if if you encounter someone, like, so you go around the world and you're like, oh, that person seems lonely. That person seems happy. That person seems afraid. Like, have you investigated whether those insights are accurate? Ask the skeptic in the back <laughs> of the room, the, em the empiricist. The answer is yes, and I will not elaborate. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, when I'm being a recent example, I had was I was in Designer Fabrics. I don't know if any of you know it. It was on Queen sure. Street, and they recent they were open for like 60 years, right. and 
the people in there are like super, super hardworking, like devoted fabricarians. And <laughs> I was getting all of my like discount fabrics and the man who was helping me, the, the, he was cutting up my fabric and he was doing, he was so, he was treating it like they weren't about to shut down. You know, like he was, he was, he was in it 100%. But then as he's cutting my fabric, which should be a really exciting time for me, I started to experience like kind of fear, like sadness and, I was like, oh, I wonder if this man is like experiencing that because his job is ending and this is like a really competitive employment market for people who are like above middle age and like maybe he's been doing this for 30, like this is what I mean, like I'm going in, I'm like, what about his family? Yeah. Do you think he has retirement? Like, and um, I didn't ask him, <laughs> you know, I didn't ask him how he's feeling, but certainly when I'm with people, if I feel close enough to them, if I ask them, I'm like, is something going on? They're like, no, like, what's going on? They're like, Okay, and so I think I do. I think I do have quite a bit of accuracy with it. Do you ask people in those kinds of situations? Like I know you didn't in that situation, mm. but when you talk about like the cashier or the guy at the fabric store, are there moments when you do that in those situations? Do you ask or do? You not a, not like to that like investigative level, but right. I will ask people. I try to make a conscious effort to like look people in the eye and be like, "How are you doing today?" And I was like, "Is it okay?" And to at least ask them because maybe no one has asked them that day. So okay. Right. yeah. Okay. Cool. Any other questions? Anything else I would like to know? Yes, over there. I see a hand waving. It's, yeah, it's kind of dark out there. Yeah, help me. Um, so is empathy in decline or is it growing? Is empathy in decline or is it, or is it a growth state? I don't even think I could say. Like, I am in my own bubble, right? Like, I have my own social media bubble and everything and like the type of work I do is like rooted in community-based work. So everybody's always sharing about that stuff, you know, it seems like empathy is growing. And then you go out into the real world and we have an election like we just had, and it's like, I don't know, man. Like, so I would like to think that it's growing, but I don't know. When you, when you watch the show, so you watch the show, you describe this sort of, it was funny for me, I'm trying to put the story together, because you describe this sort of disappointment, I guess, in the later episodes of the show. And so I assumed that you'd watch them in order. Like, I pictured, like, you watching the early ones, and then it getting, going on and on, you getting, like, more and more sort of discouraged. But that's not the order you watched them in, is that right? No, I think I watched, I did eight, then I did six, five, four, seven, nine, All-Stars one. All Stars 2. All Stars 2 really is the best. Like, really, if you've never, come on. Like, <laughs> really, it's just, it's just a good time. And one of the reasons why All Stars 2 is so good is because everyone who's there is having fun. Everybody there is like a drag queen amongst drag queens. They are like really living their best lives on that season. And it's just such a nice time. So I really... Um, but when I, it was, like I said, it was like after I started watching the earlier seasons, yeah. I realized like how produced the later seasons are. Cause huh. I never took an issue with like any of like product placement or any of that stuff. Like I don't care. But then you see how the Queens talk to each other and how you can see them not having like authentic responses. And so that's where some of the disillusionment started to happen. So, so, even, so, so the stuff that you saw originally seemed sort of more inauthentic in retrospect after you saw yeah, the earlier stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. I'm, then I'm curious like what that was like emotionally for you. Cause it seems like the show mattered to you a lot. It and does. so was that, was that disappointing or was it frustrating or was it like, it's like clearly there's a, like it's not, it's not a casual interest, right? Yeah, no, I w it's not a casual interest. No, um, <laughs> like really live and breathe this. It's a little silly, but um, yeah, it's tough because, of, like I said, like I worry about 
what season because new content is always fun it's the one way where I, I can get like excited and I have like a drag race fantasy league and like we're like okay like who's gonna do whatever Whoa. and so it's hard to know that like moving forward the queens are gonna get less and less authentic and I don't blame them like I said like the way that the internet treats um treats people like they're not even people like the objectification of it is part of what makes it so hard right. it's not even necessarily the show isn't still enjoyable it's like seeing how people treat other people um yeah and i don't i try not to be a purist like some people can be like sure, like sure. Oh, the later seasons yeah but like with anything yeah. like with that, that's sort of what i thought was like oh this thing yeah. used to be really good and yeah. then it got worse it's like it's a, you hear that story a lot and because yeah. things do get worse but it's yeah. but it's funny to hear from someone who didn't encounter the good part early you know yeah. and i was really hesitant to watch season one because it's like the lost season and it doesn't like rue hasn't figured out her sayings yet so it's like really uncomfortable but actually there's so much i have so much love for that season because they will just like read each other down. They're not worried that the internet's gonna come after them or they'll get death threats or whatever. And so there's there's an honesty and uh, something I really love about it. And then it becomes more something that you call that you described as emotional porn. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, mm -hmm. can you like tell me what that like what do you mean by that phrase? So the emotional porn is where it's like content that's intended to just like you know when you're talking about the thing about like pulling the information into you. It's mm. like the Emotional porn is meant to tug at your stuff, right. you know. It's and and to have like a bit of like a mental wank about it, or like an emotional wank right. about it. And some people like that. Like some people want it. Like they'll watch, you know, The Notebook and be like, yeah, like going in, which is a really problematic movie. But like, but the, but they like forcing you to feel stuff. Right. Some people really love that and they need that because they move through their rest of their lives like not feeling everything all the time. Whereas like I feel everything all the time, so I'm like I want the, that's the last thing I want. And do you think it like affects you extra more, or does it just like perceive you as fake and you just like passes through you, or a bit of both, or like as someone who's an empath, like yeah, it depends on what it is. Certain things will like do the thing, and I'm like, nah. like I didn't want like you know the movie like Pursuit of Happiness. Just the title of it, I was like, nope. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that ti the title no. was enough? You were and like, like the cover, and I'm like, the family. Like, I, no, I just don't want to do it. You got, that was too much. Just, just too the much. cover and the title was too emotional for you. Yeah, I can't. It's too much. But Whoa. like with, with the emotional porn on Drag Race, I think it's like anything you hit, like your, I hit a wall, and I'm like, okay, now I, I'm like, I've shut down, and I, and I can't feel it, and I might just be annoyed that's what i wondered about whatever. i wondered if like yes. as an empath like it wouldn't work on you like it would work less okay. on you because you're just like <laughs> well there's no right actual real feelings it. happening here because it's yeah. just like pretend or whatever i think i think so when it's real it, i can tell right yeah. okay. <laughs> cool any other questions anything else oh yes over there yeah over there yes yes um, do you find that people that you don't know that well are drawn to you for emotional support do you yes. think people you don't know well are drawn to you for emotional support yeah Did, sure. are you having that feeling with her now are you like do you want to tell her do you have a problem you want to tell her about <laughs> talk to me about it <laughs> Yeah, definitely. They do. How do you feel about that? I think it's wonderful. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. I, w I want that. And, and like I said earlier about like learning to establish boundaries for myself, that's the most important thing is that I know what I have capacity for and then I can hold that space or whatever. So you don't feel like that's something where you don't feel taken advantage of or whatever. You feel like you're kind of in control of that. No, I think I never feel taken advantage of by people I don't know. I definitely have that experience with people I do know. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I think people so. you people you know are the worst. Definitely, and none of them are here. <laughs> 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 Wait, none of, all right. Uh, anything? <laughs> anything? I keep thinking about your partners here. Is here yeah. now doesn't fall in the category of people no. you know, and I'm like, 
Do you ever like really kind of know diss. your partner? No, it's, it's a good point. All right. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, oh, okay. Up there, oh, you're so you're waving so hard. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are some of your right? Oh, as someone who's into the costumes, what are some of your favorite favorite costumes on Drag Race? Are you a big Drag Race fan? Are you a big Drag Race fan? You've okay. never seen the show. Oh, you're in for a treat. Yeah. Just hearing about the costumes. Like, I mean, <laughs> so many fond moments. Um, I think. Okay, so one of the things I will say about the most recent seasons is that the costuming has gotten extremely elaborate, and that kind of speaks to that point about you need to have a lot of money going into it to be successful versus in the first season where people literally wore like garbage and it was excellent, you know, <laughs> it's totally fine. But I think there maybe isn't a favorite costume that comes to mind, but my favorite costumes are the ones where they're all kind of like in the workroom and given the stuff and they've got to create something from what they found in a dumpster or whatever. But I tend to like costumes that have a lot of like that incorporates stuff into their hair. Like there was this one costume that a uh, drag queen named uh, Lanasia Sparks made out of wallpaper. And there's like a whole big fan on the one side and she had like spray painted all of it and it was uh, brocade. And then she had a giant like pump in her hair which was like this big and it like dangled down. And it was just, I don't know, it was, it was stunning. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Does that have a good mental image of that? All right. Should she, should she watch the show? You should watch. If you like costumes, then yeah, you should watch the show. Or if you like anything, you should watch the show. Uh, yes, yes, back there, yeah. Do you think that the shows need to have more responsibility for what's happening to these contestants? To the show what, sorry? Should, should, should the shows have more responsibility for what's happening to these contestants? Should the shows have more responsibility to what happens to the contestants? Yeah, like So in terms of like stuff that happens to them on social media, that should the shows take more responsibility for, for that? Sure. Uh, I wonder how, you know, like in a way, it's like while they're on the show, they'll say stuff like, we don't condone this or like whatever. But I definitely think that they could not produce the show in the way that they do sometimes that create that kind of conflict where people um, take from it and then are, like I said, like delusionally like vitriolic with, is vitriolic a word? Is totally that one real? Totally a word, okay. oh my God. Um, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the queens and it becomes, it becomes like the thing I said about re reputation economy, it becomes like a community where they start to police themselves and um, I think it comes from as a community of like Drag Race fans that we kind of have that responsibility to take care of each other with it. I, it's something to think about, though. I don't know how the show could take it more responsibility other than to produce it, not to make to people make seem fucked. Yeah. <laughs> That's something. I have a question. At the beginning, you talked about like things that made you uncomfortable as an empath, and one of them I think that you talked about was like being in a situation like this. Mm. So what, how's this been? What, how, how's what has this been, been like for you? Like as an empath, what's this been like? Well, I look forward to going home and obsessing over every single thing that is said <laughs> for the next six years. But, um, <laughs> or more. Uh, I don't know. I definitely don't have a sense of ease and comfort. Like, right. I don't that's like that's just like a normal, a normal human thing. Like, I'm yeah. comfortable up here, but that's because I'm kind of messed up. Right. But like, normal people come up here and it's it's nervous. That's like a. Yeah. Is there anything? Is there anything that you feel is like a? I don't know. Like, do you feel that there's? I don't know, like the thing that like specifically you as an empath might feel in this 
do you feel like a response from the room or do you feel like uh, I'm not sure I guess I'm not sure I know what I'm asking like how sensitive am I to like everybody's energy or just what yeah what it is that makes this experience unique for you as an empath I guess or unusual for you as an empath um so chances are when I go home I will actually be quite manic because I've like absorbed a lot of energy from other people right so it might take a while to like burn down some of that energy but um one of the things about being an empath is that what you, when you experience the emotions, or even like, like I said, physical sensations, some people have it with animals or with earth, like it's wild, but um, is that it's indistinguishable from my own. So it's like right now I feel anxiety, but it's like, is that my anxiety because I'm nervous, or is it because there's like a bunch of like different energies? Like, do you all hate me? Like, I have no idea. Right. Oh, so, <laughs> so. so it actually is confusing, like that many people or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And so you just go home and obsess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the whole time other people are talking tonight too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, hope, I hope you enjoy that. <laughs> well, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank uh, Samantha Villarreal. <laughs> Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Angela Shackle and Braden Labonte. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Our coordinating producer is Kate Bars. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, you might also want to leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.